What dreams have you had to put to death? Thank you for joining me on episode 41 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today is another Sermon Thoughts episode, putting our dreams to death does not sound very encouraging, but God shows us through the story of Hannah that we are here on this earth so his dreams for us can be fulfilled. Those dreams then serve the greater picture of redemption. I hope this message encourages you where life has disappointed you. And today's message is the death of a dream. Sounds so encouraging, doesn't it? I know that you're so excited to hear about putting all of your dreams and your desires to death. And as I was preparing for this message, I was really struggling because this is something that the Lord has really been putting on my heart just the past few years. And I said, God, is this just for me? Is this for everybody? And I really felt that it was a message for all of us this morning because all of us have dreams all of us have desires. All of us have life's expectations. Anybody here over 40, you would say, life has turned out exactly the way I expected. Not, no, no, none of you? Oh, okay. Well, maybe you're just not spiritual enough, right? We all have dreams. We all have desires. And I'm not saying that dreaming big is bad. It is not. Dreaming big is excellent. And it's because of people's big dreams that we have some of the most incredible inventions and conveniences this world has ever known. It's because of people dreaming big that God has been able to perform miracles and glorify himself. Dreaming big is not bad. It becomes bad when it becomes our idol. It becomes bad when God says, no, I have a different plan and I am asking you to lay down your desires, your expectations, so my dreams can be fulfilled and you disobey. That's when it becomes that. And if I were to be honest, this is something that I have had to work through and struggle with my whole Christian walk. I'll give you an example from my life. My whole life... I had dreamed of being an actress. Don't judge me. Okay? Because I know it is the most cliche phase that every single girl goes through in their life. But this was not a phase for me. This was a real dream. Elementary school, junior high, high school. If I wasn't in the play, I was directing it. If I wasn't directing it, I was running the lights. If you go back to where I graduated, you will find my name on a plaque of the Hall of Fame for performing arts in alumni. I won state awards. I went to national festivals. I uh, took classes in Chicago. I was accepted to a theater college in Chicago that I was supposed to attend right after graduation. So this was not a phase, this was real. But my junior year of high school, I became a Christian. And through that, I, I put a Christianese spin on my dream, and I said, well, I'll start doing Christian theater and Christian movies. And this was before Facing the Giants and Fireproof and Breakthrough. It was before all of those movies were in place. But I said, I could do that. I could do that. 
And as graduation approached, I had a lot of turmoil in my system. I was not at peace with where I was going. And at the time as a young Christian, I didn't fully understand the voice of the Lord. I didn't understand that God was leading me in a different direction. And so I said, okay, forget it. I, I denied my application to college and I removed myself from my church family, removed myself from Traverse City, the place that I had lived in the past 10 years. And I went to live out on the East Coast and I just sought the Lord. So I removed myself and I really started seeking the Lord and I felt that at that time, at 19 years old, that the Lord called me to ministry. And a peace came over me that I had never felt before. But at the same time, I struggled because then I thought, oh, I'm one of those now. One of those that had a dream that I'm going to just push aside and not pursue. But at the same time, there was something exciting about it. I never thought in a million years that I would go into ministry, that God would call me to do something like that. And I came home, I, I got married, I had babies, something else I never thought I would do because I always said, I'm not getting married. I'm not allowing a man to hold me back. Because, you know, I drank that feminist Kool-Aid, right? <laughs> I love you too. I love you too. And I pursued ministry. And it was about five or six years ago that I really started to go through this time of depression and this time of turmoil. And I couldn't figure out what it was. What is going on with me? And that's when all the movies started coming out, uh, Overcomer and Courageous and all these Christian movies that are supposed to encourage us and inspire us in our walk with Christ were depressing me. And it was because that was what I wanted and I couldn't have it. And it was because that, yes, I had said yes to the Lord many years ago of going into a different direction, the direction that he had for my life, but I had never really truly surrendered my dreams. I never surrendered my life expectations. And I was grieving. I was grieving the loss of something that I knew I was never going to have. And it wasn't just movies. It was watching Christian concerts and watching them do all their theatrics on stage. I couldn't watch that. It would bring me to tears and bring me to depression because I was grieving. And let me reiterate, dreaming big is not bad. But we live in this achievement society where we're constantly pushing. And it used to be years ago we were in a disciplined society that you gave to the community, you put forth into society, but now it's all about me and what can I achieve in the shortest amount of time possible because that's what's going to make you a success. That's why we have awards such as the 40 under 40 and the 30 under 30. It's why the world claps and gets excited when Billie Eilish wins five Grammy Awards last month at the age of 18. And we say, yes, that is success. But because we're pushing achievement and we're saying, it doesn't matter how late you stay up, it doesn't matter how early you get up, you lose your sleep, you sacrifice your family because you need to achieve as much as possible in the shortest amount of time that you have on this earth. And because of that, it's not just our kids, it's not just our young adults, but even those of us that are older. 
We're suffering from anxiety. We're suffering from depression, imposter syndrome. And we don't have people going through a midlife crisis anymore. We have people going through at 25 quarter life crisis. And it's real because it's the constant push. And as a Christian in an achievement society, we have to remember what is it that God has asked us to do? What are the dreams that he has for us? Because his dreams are about the orphans and the widows and the poor. His dreams are about the least of these. His dreams are about us knowing him and making him known and about redemption, bringing redemption to a lost world. That's his dream. And when we said yes to Christ, that also meant we said yes to the dreams that he had for us. When we said yes to Christ, it meant, yes, God, I'm going to lay down what I want for myself in order for your plans to be fulfilled. If you're new to Living Hope, we just got done with a 40-day fast, and Pastor Kerry took us through the life of Gideon. And as a, uh, corporately as a church, we read through the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a very bloody, gory, tragic book, perfect for any teenage boy. But it is a very sad time in Israel's history. And Judges picks up where Joshua left off. So you have Joshua, he brings the Israelites into the promised land. And then here are the Israelites in the book of Judges. And they're in the promised land, but they're still pockets of Canaanites. That God wants them to conquer and get rid of. But instead, they're living among the Canaanites. And they're adopting a lot of their pagan practices. And so the whole book is just the sin-repent cycle. The Israelites sin, they adopt a lot of the pagan practices, then they are under oppression from the Canaanites. They're suffering from the pain of oppression, they repent. Once they repent, God raises up a military leader, a judge, and then there's peace. But then they have so many years of peace, they forgot what God has done for them, and they begin to sin again, and the cycle continues. And at the very end of Judges, you see a very dark part of their history, very painful part of Israel's history. But in the midst of pain, God had a plan, because God always has a plan through our pain. And God's plan started with a woman who had a desire, a woman who had expectations, a woman who had a dream of becoming a mother. And many of us women in here, we have had that dream. It's not an uncommon dream in our society, but in Israel society, in biblical times, to become a mother was everything. You say, Rachel, that's oppression. No, that was life. That was where their value was set. And we're going to pick up in probably one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture, in 1 Samuel. We're going to start with verse 1. There was a certain man in Ramatham, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkinah, son of Jeraham the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. Mistake number one. 
What, what, what is it that Kim says? Any man that has more than one wife deserves it, right? One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Verse three, year after year, this man went up from his, t- his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkina to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So you can kind of see where some turmoil is coming into place. Hannah's the favored wife. As you can see with getting a double portion because he loved her. And that original language is because he has affection for her. Hannah is the favored wife. But Penina is the one that holds the family. And some theologians believe that Hannah was actually the first wife, but because she wasn't producing children, he then married Penina. So what do you do when you're jealous of somebody? You shove what you have back in their face, and that's exactly what Penina's doing. She doesn't have the love and affection of her husband that Hannah has. So she is going to take what she does have, and she's going to push it in front of her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. Her husband Elkina would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Stake number two. Don't come between a woman and her maternal desires. Verse nine. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Oh, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I have, been drink, I have not been drinking beer or wine. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. And may God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. So Hannah, Elkina, Penina, all the children, they get up and they go back home. And the Bible says in due time, Hannah conceived and she gave birth to a son named Samuel. And his name means because I asked God for him. And she kept her end of the promise. And in verse 24, it says, after he was weaned, meaning Samuel, he, she took the boy with her young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, 
and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he, meaning Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. So here in this account of Hannah, you have what I call the dream surrender cycle. There is a process that takes place when we have a desire, when we have expectations, and God then asks us to lay those down for his purposes and his glory. And it all starts with that, dreams. And like I said before, it wasn't just a dream for most of us women today, but being a mother was everything back then. The death rate was high, the birth rate was low, and when you became a mother, your status was taken up a notch and you became more valuable. They needed more men for fighting because there was always wars happening. You needed those strong men. You needed more bodies to be able to help in the fields for harvesting, for planting. And a firstborn son, that was your pension plan. Because as an Israelite woman, your husband was a lot older than you, and it was expected that you would be a widow. That firstborn son was to take care of the mother, so a barren woman meant no hope for the future. So she has this life expectation just like every other woman in Israelite culture. I am to be a mother because that is the hope for my future. And when our life's plans and our expectations are not happening, it brings pain. And for Hannah, pain is coming from two external sources. It says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I heard a preacher say this once, and it was that word irritate is a very weak translation, and that's true. In the original la language, it's rot Am is the word, and it means to violently agitate. We all get irritated. I mean, my husband will come down at night with a bowl of cereal in our room, and he'll see me and go, I'll go eat this somewhere else, because he knows chewing irritates me. To sit there and eat a bowl of cereal in my ear, that irritates me. We all get irritated by something. But this wasn't irritation. This was violent agitation. This was true bullying. And we, we use that word so much in our culture today, and I'm so glad that bullying is brought to the surface, and I'm glad that we talk about it, but I think we use it so much we don't understand what it means anymore. And this was bullying to the point where Hannah couldn't eat, to the point of constantly in tears, provoking her, violently agitating her. So she has that external source. And then in verse 5 and 6, it says that God closed her womb. God closed her womb. Why on God's green earth would he allow pain upon Hannah herself? 
If you're struggling with infertility, the first thing I would be thinking is, God, what did I do wrong? God, where did I sin that you're allowing me to go through this pain? But Hannah didn't do anything wrong. But God had still purposely closed her womb. So she has all of this pain coming from two external sources that is completely out of her control. And when that happens, we have two choices in our pain. We can either run to God and seek him or we can turn away. And unfortunately, especially in ministry, I see way too many people walk away when they face pain. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are in that portion of the cycle, if you are in pain, it's time to start seeking God and pressing in. And when you are in that pain, God then leads you to a place of brokenness. What does that mean? We hear brokenness. We hear that word often in Christian circles. It means that place of humility. It means I've had enough. God, I tap out. I'm done. It's when you've lost hope in everything else but God himself. And sometimes you, you're questioning your hope in God. When everything has failed you, it's when you're broken. It says in verse 9, Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. That's actually a Hebrew idiom, meaning she took action. Because she had two choices. In her pain, she could walk away from God or she can start seeking him. And she said, God, I have enough. I tap out. I'm seeking you. And can I ask you a real question? Have you ever been in so much pain in your brokenness that you know you would never hurt yourself, you would never take your own life? But you went to bed one night and you said, God, if you just allow me to go to sleep and never wake up, I would be okay with that. And maybe your brokenness is not that extreme, but I think it's important that we recognize that we're not the only ones that have gone through that. Where we've said, God, I tap out. I'm done. I've had enough. Elijah in in 1 Kings did that. Here, Queen Jezebel has a manhunt out on him. and, And Elijah says, God, I've had enough. I am not as good as my fathers before me. Go ahead and take my life. But God gave him some cake and said, take a nap, which is how I justify eating cake and taking naps. And we'll we'll talk about this later. God didn't take his life, but he listened. And if we're at that place of brokenness where we say, God, I'm just done, I've had enough, then that needs to bring us to that place of surrender. Hannah says this in her surrender. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's ministry and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. This isn't the first time that Hannah has asked for a child. It's probably the hundredth. But this time was different. Because she said in her brokenness and in her humility, she said, God, not my will, but yours be done. And I really believe that her prayer was a prayer from the Holy Spirit. That you've become so broken, that you've become so desperate, that you finally say, God, your will be done and not my own. 
And this is not a negotiation prayer. She's not bargaining with God. You ever done those prayers, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll become a nun and be celibate the rest of my life, you know? No, this isn't that prayer. This is a prayer of saying, yes, God, I'm asking for a son, but I want to hand him back to you. And I am forfeiting Everything that the world says is meaningful, I see as meaningless, and I'm giving it back to you. I'm forfeiting my pension plan. I'm forfeiting my status and my value as a woman in our culture. I'm forfeiting having extra hands around the house. I'm even forfeiting my status with my sister wife. And I will give this son back to you. And after surrender, it may be a short process, it may be a long process. It may be generations. But then, God can have breakthrough. Because when you say, God, not my will be done, but yours, God says, I can work with that. Now I can start doing my plan. Now my dreams can start coming through. When they went home, Hannah became pregnant, and in due time, she gave birth to a son. That was a breakthrough. But that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean she got what she wanted because she still gave him back and she still sacrificed what having a son meant. And breakthrough is going to look something different for everybody. If you're struggling with infertility, breakthrough might mean adoption. Breakthrough might mean you getting fired from a job. It might not seem positive. It might not look the way you want it to look. But when we submit, when we surrender, God can say, now I can work with that. And he can start bringing breakthrough to our lives. And once we have surrendered all of that to the Lord, and he can bring breakthrough, that is when we can start embracing the new life that God has for us. Finding that new normal. In verse 24, it says, After he, Samuel, was weaned, she took the boy with her, and she left him. Jess, LJ is about Samuel's age. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to just leave LJ with me, and Pastor Nate and Pastor Carrie, we will take care of him. He will live here, and you just show up once a year with a new set of clothes. You can spend the day with them, but then you're gone, and you don't get to see him for a year. Does that sound good? No, it doesn't. Well, you're probably like, hmm, depends on the day you ask me. But no, it sounds horrible. But she made a promise, and she embraced the new life, her new normal that God had for her, and gave her son up. Incredible. And in this dream surrender process, there are five things that that we need to remember. Well, first off, let me say this. Embracing the new life that God has for you doesn't mean that you're going to forget, okay? Because Hannah would come back every year and be reminded of that pain, would be reminded of that grieving. Something to remember, allow yourself to grieve. It's okay to grieve something that you have lost. I've never lost a parent, but I have heard that every Christmas after a parent dies is incredibly difficult. You're grieving the loss of something you once had, and that is okay. 
and you're trying to embrace the new life, the new normal that God has for you. Every year when that due date comes around of that child that you miscarried, you're going to grieve a little bit because that was a life and expectation that you had for your life that is gone. A friend of mine from downstate, he just found out that his 10-year-old daughter has autism. And as we were talking about this and the challenges that have been coming with it and, and how him and his wife are dealing with it, he finally just said, I have a special needs daughter. And that is really difficult for me to voice. And I said, it's because you're grieving. When you have children, you have this expectation of you're going to watch them graduate, you're gonna see them get married, you're gonna see them give you grandbabies, and now you have to switch your expectation of this child to, I just want them to have quality of life. Who's grieving? Second thing that we need to remember is people will not always understand and they say the stupidest things. I mean, Hannah is pouring out her soul to the Lord and Eli says that she's drunk, accuses her of drinking. People are going to say dumb things. I've said dumb things. I apologize to you if I've said dumb things to you because I'm sure I have. You will say dumb things. All of us will. But when we're going through this painful process and in our brokenness, we just need to have grace with people. They're not going to say the right things. They're not going to understand, and that's okay too. Third, where is your identity found? There are many of you in here that have labels on your shoulder that were completely outside of your control. Some of you have that label of divorcee, single, widow, unemployed, Situations that have happened to you that are completely outside of your control. Hannah, childless. But in her brokenness, she gave her prayer time to God and said, what the world says is meaningful, I find meaningless and I find my identity in God. Number four, we have to remember that our life is not our own. And that's really hard for us in this Western culture. When we give our lives to Christ, our life is not our own. And in heaven, we are going to have plenty of time to be able to do the things that we didn't get to do here on this earth. But while we are here for this short time, God has dreams and plans of redemption. And when we said yes to Christ, we said yes to the life that he chose for us. And it's not on the screen, but number five, enjoy the ride. That doesn't sound right because I'm telling you to lay down a dream. I'm telling you to put death to life expectations. But God knows better than we do. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes we just need to enjoy the ride. A couple years ago, we went through a really painful season with our youngest son. He was diagnosed with uh, sensory processing disorder, and I'm not going to explain what that is. Some of you have heard of it. It is uh, SPD. And it was an incredibly painful process. The, the constant phone calls and emails from school, all the doctor's appointments and the therapist's appointments, and dealing with social workers and, and psychologists. 
And then I just remember sitting in my car in the school parking lot just crying and angry. And I just said, God, I thank you. I don't know why I'm thanking you right now, but I know that the Bible says that no matter what happens in my life, I am still to thank you in all situations. And I am really angry with you right now because God can handle that. We can tell him that we're angry. I said, I am so angry with you, Lord. But I thank you. And I don't know why. I don't know what's going to happen. But I thank you. And can I tell you that my son is the greatest joy? I love him more today than I did that day he was born. And it is because of the painful process that we had to go through, the fighting that I had to go through to get him his therapies and to get him all the things that he needed has created such joy for me and such a deep passion and a love for him. Enjoy the ride. And it's going to be hard in those painful processes. But continue to thank God because that last step is redemption. The last part of the cycle is redemption. And this can take a year. This can take decades, generations. But God's plan and pain is always redemption. He doesn't allow pain without a purpose. So let's take Hannah's life and, and let's look at it full circle. She has this desire to be a mother. She's suffering through the pain of being childless, of God closing her womb. But in the place of God closing her womb, she becomes broken and she becomes so desperate for a child that she has this prayer that is straight from the Holy Spirit. And I have to ask you, would Samuel have been born if she hadn't gone through that pain? Would she have placed herself pouring herself out to the Lord and finally surrendering, saying, your will be done, not mine. Would Samuel have been born? Probably not. As difficult as it is to believe that God will allow us to have pain, it was because of that pain that brought her to that surrender and brokenness that Samuel was able to come on this earth and she was able to say, I dedicate him to you. Samuel was the last judge. He was the first prophet since Moses. He was a priest. And Samuel was the bridge between the gap of Moses and King David. He's one of the greatest leaders that this world has ever known. And when she hands Samuel over to Eli in chapter 2, she has this beautiful prophetic prayer. And throughout that prayer, She's talking about, Lord, giving grace to the humble, tearing down the pride. And everything that she's praying pretty much spells out the book of 1 Samuel. And at the end of her prayer, she says this. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. There is no king in Israel right now. What is it that is said all throughout the book of Judges? The Israelites had no king, so they did what was right in their own eyes. The king's anointed, who is she talking about? 
Jesus. The word anointed in the original language means Messiah. She's prophesying about the Messiah. Samuel was not only bridging the gap between Moses and King David, but he was paving the way to set up the monarchy to bring about our real king, the real king, Jesus. Would Samuel have been born? Would we have had that prophet, that priest, that judge, if it weren't for the pain that Hannah went through, that surrender that she went through? And I don't know if Hannah even saw the redemption process. By the time that David became king, Samuel was quite old, and Hannah was probably gone. I don't know if she saw the redemption. She certainly didn't see the monarchy leading to Jesus himself. And throughout the Old Testament, you notice that any time that God is going to do a major work, a major redemption, it has always gone through pain, especially barren women. So just like God brought Samuel into this world to bring redemption to the Israelites uh, through Samuel the baby. He brought redemption to the world through baby Jesus. If I could have the worship team come forward. Everybody can go ahead and stand. I don't know where you're at in this death, dream, surrender cycle. And if you say, this isn't me, I'm not going through anything like this, it will happen to you one day. There is going to be a time where God is going to ask you to lay down the dreams that you have for yourself, your life expectations, in order for his dreams to come through so redemption can happen. But what a privilege that he would ask us. What a privilege that God would want to do redemption through us imperfect humans. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows what's going to happen. He knows that the betrayers are coming to take his life and he's praying his heart out. He's pouring his heart out to God and he said, God, if there is any other way, this cup that you have for me, if you could take it, if there's any other way that we can do this, then let's do it. He was in a lot of pain. He was broken. But he said quickly, God, not my will be done for yours. Because of his brokenness and because of his surrender, at that moment, the betrayers came. They took him. And him being sacrificed on the cross as a perfect being, we have redemption for the world. For him to be sacrificed, to die, to come back three days later, this perfect, fully human, fully God was given to us for redemption of the world. 2,000 years ago, he's still redeeming people today. If you could bow your head, eyes closed, I just want to ask if there is... 
anybody in the room today that would say, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I have not surrendered my life to Christ. And my whole life, it's been my will be done. But now I'm ready to say, God, your will be done. If that's you, would you raise your hand? team come forward. I have two questions. One, if you're in here and you would say, I'm in this cycle right now, I'm going through a lot of pain and it's because of situations that are outside of my control. You're in this process of laying down your life expectations and your dreams in order for God to have his dreams fulfilled. Would you raise your hand? That's you. I'd like to ask is maybe you're in here and you're going through a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness right now but it's not because of situations outside of your control it's because of the sin that you've had in your life that the consequences that you are facing because of the choices that you personally made I want to tell you today that God is still a redeeming God that even though we mess up still wants to redeem your situation and it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful but he still wants to redeem if that's you will you raise your hand if i could have everybody come forward we're going to worship together if you are one of those that raised your hand you're welcome to come to these prayer team members but everybody go ahead and up out of your seats and let's just worship together at the altar For listening to this special sermons episode of the Unique On Purpose podcast, remember when it comes to putting our dreams to death, one, it is okay to grieve, two, people will say dumb things, three, find where your identity lies in Christ, four, our life is not our own, and five, enjoy the ride. If you are interested in having me speak at your upcoming conference, head on over to rachelgenneman.com. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you next week.